Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. We in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17 in just a few moments. We're kind of working uh, through a, the concept or the theme of, of hope to, to some degree. I don't know that we could ever exhaust things to say about hope. But as Christians, we believe in a different kind of hope. Uh, a, you know, you, the, the world has a concept of hope that is uh, dependent upon favorable circumstances. But we believe in a hope that's built on faith, not need or not good thoughts or not circumstances. And as we, as we remember what Jesus has done and accomplished in our lives, we begin to examine and look at the, for lack of a better word, the trends and the processes that, that God has directed and doors that he's opened and doors that he's shut. And not only for us, but we have a, a whole army of people and a whole history to look at to be able to, to better understand how God works, what God wants, how God feels, what's he doing in our lives. We can learn more about his character and his nature and his design and his will, and that helps us know what God wants for us, but it also helps us know what God wants for us individually. So it gives us a much better opportunity to have hope in the right direction, a better hope in a better direction than the hope that the world offers for his glory, of course. So we believe in a biblical hope that is a confident expectation that God will do what God has done because he's faithful. And as I look back and see his faithfulness, I have a confident expectation of him that God will do what he says he will do and that he may not do what I want. It helps to know God's specific promises to me. It also helps me to know God's general promises because God is consistent. And so I'm always walking circumspectly. I'm always in the scripture. My conversations are about the Lord because I'm gathering information that helps me know which direction to have hope for my own life. Ancient Israel's King David talked about this kind of hope in Psalm 31. I'm going to read that very quickly, beginning in verse 23. He says, Oh, love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. So, you know, he preserves the faithful and pays back the proud. Be strong and let your heart take courage. All you who hope in the Lord. So we know that when there is hope in the Lord, there is the ability to take heart and forage on. We talked about hope being knowing that Jesus Christ is on the other end of the rope 
consistently pulling us through whatever the circumstance may be. But it's being able to see Jesus on the other end that gives us hope that leads to courage and the ability to keep walking. So today I want to talk about that hope that only God can give us when we feel like we're facing more than we can handle. Now, this is probably only me. I'm probably the only one that's ever thought, I don't know if I can handle this or not. Did anybody else in the room ever, ever experience something that you just don't know if you can handle it? Life's full of challenges. We jump, I guess maybe it's, I don't know, you jump from one challenge to the other. It's like when, once a challenge goes away, there's another challenge right there in front of us. Parenting children can sometimes feel like an incredible, overwhelming feeling. Navigating global pandemics and not having a, a clue of what to do or how to do it. Or juggling career and family in this rat race of a world is hard to do as well. Growing in our faith and, and learning to defeat sinful habits can also be a challenge. Or the sudden or even expected loss of a loved one is sometimes insurmountable and debt load and raising costs of everything on the planet and supply chains and everything starts getting a little bit almost too, too much to handle. But the Bible is full of accounts of people just like us learning to navigate impossible circumstances, who face circumstances that they knew they could not face alone. And against all odds, when they expressed their faith and their courage built, they had hope. They received hope. And when you receive hope, you receive victory. All of these people just like us are fully aware that without God on their side, there is no hope for a favorable outcome. Did you know that God can be on your side and you still not get what you want? Have you learned that one yet? The joy found from this life is learning to want what He wants. Learning to want what He wants. It's a very familiar account. It takes place long before David is king of Israel. At this point, he's just a boy. And we're in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to walk through this. Well, I was going to say quickly, but who am I kidding? <clears throat> Verse 20. I am going to try to do that. Verse 20 of 1 Samuel chapter 17, And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. Uh, I don't know this for sure. But I imagine as David was carrying his bologna and mayonnaise and cheese sandwiches, surely not tuna fish, I don't know what it was, provisions for his brother. Can you imagine just coming over that hill? I'm, I'm, I'm purely making this up, but I just picture this joyful psalmist just kind of, I, I get to contribute, you know, up over the hill. And they're down there beating their shields against each other with their war cries mounting up here at the, at the valley. Can you imagine David saying, oh, I thought it was nap time. I, didn't, I mean, I didn't know. 
Can you imagine being up against something that you know you're not going to be able to handle? He's not a soldier. He's probably not even old enough to really be there. And yet here he is with his bags in tow for the warriors. Just a moment ago, he was in a field tending sheep. That's what David, the youngest, the littlest, did was take care of the sheep. It's a very big job, but it's a fairly insignificant job. But it was in this small job that David learned something that warriors hadn't learned. And that's where hope comes from. David had learned in the very small things as a very small person how to have hope. And just that quick, from field to fight, David takes his provisions to his brothers and he's found that he's in over his head and way over his ability. The truth is, in, at least in my life, probably in yours, you realize you're very seldom ever prepared, fully prepared, or do you feel prepared to handle what life throws at you? It's why, one of the reasons why it is so important to live out a life of faith, exercising your faith, developing a relationship with God, if that's what builds hope, then if we have been building hope, then we will have hope. A lot of people talk about things like when you go through something and people go, I don't know how you go through that. I just don't know how you go through that. Or, or sometimes you fear things and you want grace for that fear. But here's something that I've learned. There is no storehouse for God's grace. You don't get to store it like you do hope. You don't get to dwell on it like you do hope. Grace is given when it's time for grace to be received. But hope, it seems, you can invest in. Hope you can keep. Hope you can continue to have in the present so that at the moment you need it, you can actually learn to have your first thought being hope. First thought being seeing Jesus on the other end of difficulty. That can begin actually to be muscle memory, spiritual memory. It's like, oh, well, you know what? God's always been faithful. Got to be faithful again. So it's important for us to spend time in God's Word every day, hearing Him, spending time in prayer every day, experiencing Him, spending time encouraging. Do you ever know, you ever try to encourage somebody and walk away encouraged? This is the way it works, right? This is the way the spiritual world works. So we can actually invest in that. And when you have circumstances that you can't handle, good news, you have hope. That's what David has. Did you know that you're going to be in circumstances? God allows you to go through circumstances that you can't handle. Did you know that? You ever heard, you ever heard that Bible verse, God will never put more on you than you can handle? You've never heard that Bible verse. It ain't in there. That's not true. If that were true, God's got a lot of apologies to give. Because there's a lot of people who went through things that they couldn't handle. In fact, it's going through things that you can't handle. That's when we learn surrender. You can surrender to your circumstances and fall flat. Or you can surrender to Jesus and get his courage and to get his strength and to have hope in his ability to fight the fight. You're going to go through things you can't handle. Of course you are. Everyone knows people who have fallen to things that they couldn't handle. It was too much. Now, in, in terms of this world, 
I think of men like John the Baptist. You say, God will never put more on you than can handle. Well, tell that to the guy sharpening the axe for the back of John's neck. But you know what? All he had to do was to remember the word of the Lord. And John the Baptist, though he died, he died with hope. So, well, is there any way that we could not die and still have hope? Well, of course, this happens all the time. But the encouraging thing for me to say is to you, believer, there are worse things than death. If our heart was with him and our hope is in him, there's far worse things than death for a believer. So the verse says, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. God never gives you more than you can handle? Nope. That's not what that says. It's not what it means at all. It means that God will not allow you to experience a temptation that he will not provide a way of escape for you. God never forces us to commit sin. That's what that verse says. And that is very much true. But that's much different than God not giving you more than you can handle. Do you know if God didn't allow you to experience pressure, you'd never, you would never surrender to him. It's pressure that causes us to need him, to reach out to him. And who in here would ask for pressure? Nobody would ask for pressure, right? God in his goodness allows us to experience tensions so that we can experience his goodness. If we lean on him, if we surrender to him, most of our life is filled with things more than we can handle. This gives us the reason to lean on him. It gives us the, the, the impetus to do something that doesn't come natural to us, to, to trust him. Sometimes God gives a greater hope than a solution to prob the problem right in front of us. It's a, a phone call with a diagnosis. It's a discovery of, a, of an infidelity in a, in, in, a, in a spouse. It's a temptation that we didn't see coming. No one asks to be placed in a position where there is no clear route to victory. But God always gives a clear route to victory. When we're surrendered to him, we, and we refuse to surrender anywhere else. I remember, and I don't, I don't want to, there's so many things that, that Donette and I learned over the last year, but I remember going back a year now when we first noticed that something, something major was going on and we had the first MRI and it came back, uh-oh. So we, we go to the, there's a lot of, I just never have shared. So uh, we go to the do doctor to have it read here and uh, we're sitting, we're, I mean, we, we have hope, we have peace. We have no answers. <laughs> and so we're sitting in the doctor's office and he comes in and, and literally this is what he says. He said, well, I looked at your MRI. What do you all want to do? He said, we don't know what to do. That's why we're sitting at the doctor's office. He said, well, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, this is really rare. This, we call this gee whiz day in medical school because nobody expects to ever see it. So I don't know what to do, and I'm not kidding you. He said, go home and Google it and let me know what you want to do, and we'll do whatever it is that you want. So we have a friend who reads MRIs, and we took it to him, and he looked at it at his house, and he said, 
Listen, I've seen these before. Don't worry about it. You know what don't worry about it did for us? No, I, we slept like babies that night. Don't worry about it. It's probably nothing. Doctors will probably say they don't even want to do anything about it. He said, but here's what I'm going to do. I'll call your doctor, and I'm going to tell him you need an MRI with contrast. That way we'll know conclusively what it is. Okay, great. We slept like babies that night. So we go and have another MRI with contrast, and we come back. We take it to the same friend who looked at it, and he said, I'm so sorry. Oh, what do you mean you're so sorry? You're supposed to say, just as we expected. I'm so sorry. Well, times like that, you have to decide how you're going to respond. In moments like that, when you have an, an unnatural, supernatural peace from the Lord, but you still don't know which step to take next. So do we give up in defeat or do we trust that God's going to give us the strength? So you know what we did? We prayed and we Googled it. <laughs> And Google, I found a doctor in Los Angeles that's like this brainiac. I'll save you a lot of time. Uh, he has his license taken away because he wasn't really doing surgeries. He was just charging people for them. Now, there are a lot of people out there like that. And just like shut door, shut door, shut door, shut door. And, and we just begin to go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, direct us to the right person. And I'm telling you, we trusted the Lord. We trusted the Lord. We, and God opens every door. When you see him on the other side pulling you through. And there's a peace that comes along through that too. And I'm telling you, when it doesn't even make sense to have hope, you can build hope and you can store hope. And when the next step is a little tricky, man, all you need to know is Jesus is right over there. I'm walking in that direction with him. I don't have to, I don't have to look down and see if the ground is steady. I don't have to consider the cost of what it's going to cost me. I just want to be where Jesus is. I want to be where he is directing, where he is pulling. Amen? So when we find ourselves in this place, we need hope, even when we didn't have answers. So David arrives, arrives at the front lines to check on his brothers who's fighting, and there he is. Let's look at verse 23. I will not do this all the way through the chapter, okay? And as he talked with them, behold, the champion. You know, there's only one way that you get that name. The Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name. He came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man which has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. I mean, listen to this. The, the guys are terrified and they're telling each other, Hey, you should do it. You should do it. Look at all the things you're going to get. Can you, I mean, you, you've been there before. It's like, you, you go fight him. Look, at, you get all kinds of money and you get for your family and you get a beautiful woman and you get all of these things. You go, you go fight him. No, no, you get all of these things. You go fight him. David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For 
Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David said, who cares what you can put in your pocket? God's glory is on the line. And he might be 12 years old right here. Certainly a young, a young man. But you can hear his determination. It's God's glory is on the line. He knows somebody's got to stand up to the threat. His age doesn't matter. His size doesn't matter. What matters is who he is tethered to, whose yoke he is attached to, who his hope is in, who he is surrendered to. If his hope is in himself, he should run away from battle. But if his hope is in Jesus, he could run into battle. Goliath was a decorated warrior. We're not going to get into a lot of the details of that, but he struck fear into the hearts of everybody who saw him. And, and fear becomes a, a force multiplier. So it's like Goliath, maybe nine feet tall, built like a tree. He's the champion. He's got experience. His sword's the size of David. And then the way he speaks, it's like that force multiplier for fear. Fear always. I, th I think fear is probably going to be our number one go-to for most things in life. And, and understand this, fear always eclipses faith. You can't have faith and fear at the same time. It's not possible. It's not possible. Faith is the source of hope. So no hope, no faith, no hope. But when you have hope, it's because you're tethered to faith. When you have no hope, you give up on all the promises. You forfeit all of the promises of God. Verse 32. David said to Saul, now look what he does here. This little, little David, the little boy, looks at the king and encourages the king. David said, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth. And he's been a man of war from his youth. Now I want you to notice what David has already done. He's already done it in his mind. Now he does it with his speech. He looks back at what God has done and that helps him determine what God will do. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions, plural, and bears, plural, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall just be like one of them. He has defiled the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Goliath was a giant, terrifying. The whole, every, to a man, the Israelite army 
is paralyzed in fear. They forgot who they were fighting for, and they forgot who was on their side. They forgot all of their stories from Moses and Joshua all the way through the judges. They've forgotten everything because they were thinking about their moment instead of their faith. Somebody's got to do something. And hope is what led David to be willing to take that on. You know, when we find ourselves in some sort of a, a season of struggle or, or moments of, uh, of fear, emptiness, the weight of the world being upon us, we feel down and out. And listen, you're all, we're all going to have opportunities to feel down and out. We're all going to have opportunities to, be, to feel less than, to feel incapable, to feel ill-equipped, to feel unprepared. We're all, it's part of the plan. So I'm here to tell you that when you feel that way, that's not failure. Those are opportunities to have faith in God and to trust Him and to believe Him, to walk with Him. In those times, we have to remind ourselves of how God has been with us in the past. And to remember this, God, if, if you don't remember anything else, remember this, God is for you. He's for you. He wants you to do well for His glory. His glory is on the line with your testimony. He wants good things for you. And it's powerful when you can be, know that God is for us. And if God is for us, then what? Who could be against us? If God is for me, who could be against me? A nine-foot giant? Who cares? God's for me. Looking at the issue doesn't make the issue more powerful than God. Since God is for you, He's giving, given you the very best opportunities to have the very best options. Now listen, God being for you doesn't mean that God is on your team. It means that God is giving you an invitation to be on His team. He's giving you every opportunity to do well, to be in His presence, to live in His power, to live by His provision, His promises. He is for you, and you can see it best when you are trusting His way, not yours. Instead of asking Him to be a part of your life, we need to be asking to be a part of His, to see ourselves on His side. See, hope is a derivative of trust. And when we believe that something or someone is trustworthy, you can't, the, the byproduct of that is hope. You may not be looking at a nine-foot-tall giant who got his name, by the way, uh, from the King James. You may not know that. Goliath down is what, it's how it, what it means. I'm just kidding. That's not true. Uh, but that is what happens. I'm surprised you haven't heard that before. Verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. We don't use that word much, but what it means is considered him worthless. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. 
And the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with the sword and the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and I will cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know, this is very important, that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Maybe David didn't bebop over the hill with a sack of lunch meat. Maybe he knew exactly what he was doing. Saul, the king of Israel at that time, the favored one, tries to fit David with armor and weapons to protect him, make sure he, you know, I don't know. None of the armor fits David. Too little. David's age, size, and experience didn't make him disadvantaged enough. Now he's going to go out and he's got a slingshot in his hand. Five rocks in his pocket. Maybe you don't feel equipped with what you have to overcome the things that you're facing. Maybe your ability to pray isn't where you want it to be. Maybe your Bible knowledge isn't where you want it to be. Maybe you've made some past decisions in your life that makes you feel like you're a lesser than in the kingdom of God or a, or a never will in the kingdom of God or whatever it is. But I'm telling you, you are in good company because that is the biography of every person of faith who has learned to trust Jesus Christ. In fact, it's the starting place to learn to trust, to learn to have faith. It's only when you realize that our battles are not won by physical means. Our battle, every battle is a spiritual battle and cannot be won with sword and spears and javelins. It can only be won in the Spirit. So this is where we will begin to experience God fighting for us as we recognize that God's glory is always on the line. No matter the circumstances, there is a way to glorify God in every circumstance of life. For David, this is a battlefield, but David sees it for what it is. It's a spiritual battle. If it's a physical battle, the playing field is uneven. The cards are stacked against David. But if it's a spiritual battle, the field is uneven. And everything is stacked against Philistia. You know, every battle is a spiritual battle because Satan is always coming after God's glory. That's what he wants. He wants the glory that, that God deserves. Paul speaks to this in Ephesians chapter 2, 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's where we do battle. That's where we wage war. And everything that's circumstantial and everything that's issue-related and everything in this world are spiritual battles where we can win and give glory to Jesus Christ. If the issue that we face aren't physical, then we can't win them in physical means. It takes a spiritual approach. We fight our impossible battles by submitting to the will of God, aligning with His purposes, His promises, and obedience. But if you don't have hope, seeing Jesus on the other side, you're going to lose sight of what the battle really is. 
And if you're not investing in your hope share, when that time of testing comes, you may be prone to fear. David draws upon God as he engages Goliath. Single stone, precise throw. I don't know how good David was. Probably deadly accurate, I would imagine. But I'm not sure David had to be all that good. This battle already belonged to the Lord. But the Lord, listen, the Lord used what the Lord had honed in David's life. If David had been anything else, he'd have had something different in his pocket. And God would have used whatever it was to defeat the enemy. You may not feel equipped, but I'm telling you, if you walk with Jesus Christ, you will always have the resource in your hand and in your pocket to win the war and the glory for the Lord. This isn't David's fight. Neither is yours. It belongs to the Lord. The giant falls to the ground. You know what happens? The Philistines run. So do the Israelites right after them. Look at verse 51. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath. I mean, I love that this, that this guy didn't use a, a Jewish sword. He took Goliath's sword. That's like the, I don't know. That's a, I mean, I, I don't know. That, maybe there's nothing there. But to me, that's a pretty powerful thing to kill a, cut a man's head off with his own sword. Drew out of its sheath, killed him, and cut off his head with it. And the Philistines saw that their champion was dead. They fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout. Well, where are you guys been all this time? Pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that they, the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharem as far as Gath and Ekron. Listen, let me tell you something. Fear, think about it. Fear is contagious. And when you speak fear, it breeds fear in yourself and in those around you. Fear attracts and it is contagious. But so is faith. In just a moment, when Goliath falls and that first Philistine turns to run, they all turn to run. And now that David expressed faith, expressed hope, it gave hope to every other soldier around David. Hope is also contagious. Hope gives birth to hope, which gives birth to courage and taking heart. David says, may our hearts not fail today. And they didn't. David, by his hope, bolstered their confidence in the Lord. I wonder when circumstances come in your life, which one you are breeding? Fear. If it's fear, it's because you're not seeing Jesus. You're not spending time with Jesus. Or is it hope? Faith? Just as we close, I want to take you to the Christmas story real quick. I'm not going to read much of it. 
But it's funny to me, if you go through all of the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, you'll see how God seems to use insignificant people to do significant things. How it's, it's God's way to use the little things, the small things, the uninfluential people, the down and outers, the ones that everybody else overlooks. He, he uses the people that you would never expect. He uses a, a Moses. He uses a Joseph. He uses the prophets. Over and over, we see this constant ability that God has of using insignificant people to do extraordinary things when their hope is placed on Him. Jesus continues this. Jesus was born with down and out status. He came like us to win us. The God of creation and the God of eternity became like us and lived barely a meager life devoted to faith, hope, and love so that we could draw from his victory. Even in the Christmas story, God uses a virgin, a man who refuses to stone her, a little obscure town like Bethlehem, a place that's only known because that's where King David was born. He uses the manger, a stable, swaddling clothes. Shepherds were the first guests and wise men from another culture to declare his glory. And a little drummer boy. No, wait, he wasn't really there, was he? But they're the least likely. Every, every turn of the story is the least likely. There's a minimum of 93 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his coming. Very little of Jesus' life should have caught anybody off guard. In fact, after his resurrection, they used the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. It was there all along. But people were looking for the big things, the flashlights, the most likely to succeed. They were looking for Jesus in palaces, hanging out with nobles, planning an a, a overthrow of Rome. Meanwhile, Jesus is hanging out with lepers and sinners and the weak and the broken and the worn. The wise men went to King Herod and said, where is he? Surely the most important man in the country will know where he's at. Herod didn't know he had been born because they were looking for the most likely. When, when Nathaniel found out about Jesus, was born from Nazareth, what were, uh, lived in Nazareth, Jesus they, was raised in Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, said, could anything good, of course that's not the Messiah, nothing good, nothing most likely could come out of Nazareth. Hope can't come from small things. In John chapter 7, people were wondering whether or not Jesus was the, the Messiah. The argument they made against him being the Messiah was that they knew where he came from, from born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. Nazareth. They were quoting an Old Testament prophecy that, that said that Jesus would appear suddenly, like he would, just, he would just show up. But we know where you were born. And then in John chapter 8, Pharisees come and they accuse him of being born in infidelity. They should have seen it. They should have known it. Isaiah 7 tells us that Israel, tells Israel that Messiah was going to be born of a virgin. Jeremiah 23 says that he's going to be a descendant of David, and he was. 
Matthew gives us his genealogy through Joseph's side. You go over to Luke chapter 3, you get Jesus' genealogy on Mary's side. Jesus is related, a descendant of David from Mary and Joseph. Micah chapter 5 tells us that he's going to be born in Bethlehem, super small town. Psalm 72 even says that who is going to come and to worship him? Kings from the east and even some of the gifts that they're going to bring him. Over and over, there are these prophecies declaring that Jesus, who Jesus is. But it was the small things that nobody was looking for. The daily things. They were looking for big things. But God's glory is revealed through little things. Daily things. Simple things. We all want big dreams, big purpose, big prayers, big direction, big jobs. But what about our daily time with Him? Daily study, daily obedience, daily holiness. That building where our hope is built. And when you have hope, you can accomplish big things. But hope can't be built in a moment. We look for advancement for status, but Jesus, Jesus says it's found in serving. We seek value from the popular, the influential somebodies, but Jesus found it with the broken addicts, lepers, sinners, and nobodies. He proved that this would be his ministry, and he chose to be born into it so that he could identify with us and redeem us so that we could be identified with him. You see, God uses Little David's, not mighty armies. God uses small stones, not mighty swords. He uses dependence upon his strength, not our personal strength. And what God does, he does for his glory, not ours. Will you bow your heads with me, please? interesting to me how God gives hope as the I mean it's really the payoff as hope focuses on God's faithfulness in the future he gives it to those who do the work so today I just want to kind of challenge us by maybe you've caught in the trap of trying to keep up maybe you caught in the trap of influence and power and prestige and the big things, wanting to accomplish the big things, but we're neglecting all of the little things that prepare us for those moments that we can't handle. Those, those opportunities when someone around you is broken, those opportunities to give them hope instead of commiserating. The ability to speak life instead of just giving sympathy. We don't give hope because we don't live in hope. Where is your hope? If you just had, if you just had a bigger sword, just had a taller ladder, if you just had a better job or a better spouse or better kids, just had a better home, if you just had a better whatever it is, put it in there. The truth of the matter is, everything you need is found in relationship with Jesus Christ. And he begins to trim away all the things that are competing against him. 
and all you can see is him on the other end, pulling you toward himself. It really comes down to daily surrender. It it comes down to that moment by moment trusting him. Not in the big Sunday morning going to church. Even going to church on Wednesday night. No, that's not where it's built. It's built in the moment by moment. Church is a place where we can come and express it. A place to come and remind ourselves of some things. A place to kind of come and to celebrate some things. But our hope is is built in those daily, moment-by-moment communion with Jesus Christ where he reminds us of what he's done and he directs us on what he's going to do. And when the things that come against you that you couldn't possibly handle come, you've got some hope. You have hope. And with that hope will come God's grace to take the next step. Maybe today you, you know that you are not in a hope-receiving or hope-giving relationship with Jesus. You've made a commitment to Him, but it's not a moment-by-moment commitment. Sometimes hope wears out. I want you just to let's just pray for a moment. And I don't want you to examine what you are hoping in today. I want you to examine how surrendered you are to the direction of God in your life. How surrendered you are to the direction of God. Say, well, if God would just tell me, I'll do it. No, no, no. It's knowing it. It's already knowing it. What God wants for you. Walking in obedience. Lord, we're here today and one thing that we all have in common is we need hope. Another thing we have in common is we all have things we can't handle from time to time on our own and sometimes we turn to friends and sometimes we turn to banks and sometimes we turn to all sorts of things and sometimes we turn to you. And So Lord, I pray that we will learn to turn to you quickly, to trust you, learn to to put our faith in you. When the doctor walks in or when the banker walks out, I pray that we would take the stillness of this moment and just just simply be able to pray, Lord, I'm going to establish a deeper relationship with you. And as we think about Christmas and we think about, you know, we, most of us find ourselves as feeling insignificant. You know, just, just put us in the corner of heaven and we'll be just happy because nobody cares about us. Lord, remind us that you use insignificant things to do significant things, to do extraordinary things. It's the insignificance is where you find your greatest glory, your greatest ability to use little boys like David to, do, to turn the tides of war. Lord, I pray that we would squelch the lie of Satan that we have nothing to offer. Help us to walk with courage and boldness. Help us to take heart as we go into the world that is lost and hopeless without you. 
that the gospel would be on our lips, that you are for us. And if that is true, who could possibly be against us? And it all begins with a here I am, send me. Daily habits of holiness. All of us for all of you. Help us to to not be double-minded. Help us to walk in stability, confidently, clarity, proclaiming the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.